guys. Uh, uh, thanks for joining um, our Q&A session. Um, it's been quite interesting, uh, two panels. I'm happy we got the, uh, uh, the guests and the experts uh, joining us. Uh, we try to be efficient with timing as we're already uh, two hours in. Uh, so we chose a few questions from the crowd that I think uh, my colleagues, Vadim Greenberg and Ohad Porat, uh, and myself could be suitable to, uh, to answer. So we start with a question from Rami. Um, Rami asks, do you think uh, that increasing efficiencies in warehouse management systems, automations, and a warehouse-related robotics can dampen the demand for warehouse space? Ohad, do you want to uh, start with that? Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, we need to understand that automation only reflects probably less than 20% of the entire warehouse market. So we were only in the beginning of this kind of a, a, a robust expansion of robotics and automation within warehouses. Uh, so it, it's hard to determine exactly how it will affect. Uh, what you can do see that in, in, in recent years, which were the growth years for automation, uh, uh, you, you see the opposite for less demand. You see way more demand. Uh, and with talking to tenants and, and uh, 3PLs and, and companies that wanting to expand their supply chain and network, uh, the main driver that comes to their mind and why not doing it or, or how to choose a location has to do with the label. Label market has become the most uh, hurting issue, hurting point for each supply chain uh, expert or, or uh, uh, relevant party. So using automation helps eliminate some, not all, but some of the uh, uh, kind of a, a human resource uh, situation that we have. So some might say that having automation might even extend uh, an expedite growth of this uh, uh, supply chain network because it will not need to depend so much and so heavy on manual labor, which is so hard to get. So it's hard to determine, but I think good drivers to actually support the growth rather than uh, the decline of it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think automation is at, uh, at its uh, early innings. We see more automation in bigger bulk warehouses than in the smaller ones. And as Ohad said, it has a balancing effect. Uh, automation could also be an enabler. So if you have enough automation in last mile warehouses, uh, then you can, with less labor, reach more of your customers. So I'm not sure what would be the end effect of uh, automation, but A, it's pretty far away from really seeing that uh, um, uh, in specifically last mile, we're seeing that more, probably less than 20% from recent prologist research in bulk distribution. Uh, it will have some kind of effect, but it may be balanced out by the uh, rapid growth of those retailers that automation enabled them to reach more and more of their, um, of their customers. So overall, it's definitely a good thing. Uh, and we're seeing uh, uh, good things happening with that. We just saw that low-cost robotics uh, uh, reached uh, a unicorn status uh, in the recent fundraising. Just read that a few days ago. Uh, and we see the AMR, Automatic um, Autonomous Mobile Robots industry, really uh, going strong. So it's an amazing time to be um, in, in the automation industry, but I think it goes hand-to-hand -hand with real estate uh, at this point. So second question uh, is from uh, uh, Shiri. So uh, Shiri is asking, do you think conversion uh, of existing retail pose a risk on supply? Do you want to give it a shot, uh, Vadim? Yeah, sure. I really don't because the reason uh, that, you know, usually that happens on a very minor scale. Of, of the inventory. It's not something, you know, the demand is such a high demand and the net absorption is such a high net absorption that 
even though that the conversion will occur, it still won't affect drastic, drastically on the supply and demand function because the demand is just much more higher. So, and, and, and also it's happening in the places, in the very special places that actually justify uh, something like that. This is a very infiltration in New York, Inland Empire, and those kind of places. And if she's referring to the mall uh, conversion, uh, you know, people were talking about quite a lot, there will be a lot of malls conversion to, uh, to uh, distribution centers. It's, it's nice theory, but in, in practice, it's not really happening, or it's happening in a very minor scale. So short question is, is no. I think that we will see it more, more and more and more. Uh, you know, people, as, as, as land constraints for industrials becoming more of an issue, people will be more creative and try to, to make uh, the, the solution for the less mile. And in some instances, retail tells a good less mile story. Uh, regional malls that have, uh, that are typically located within, uh, uh, or not regional, just local malls or malls in general, typically located in, in strategic areas that are uh, related to uh, population. And they do sit on a giant amount of land uh, because of parking. Uh, those two uh, um, set points are crucial for the less mile atmosphere. So I think overall, it has a good story. Will it make economical sense and will it be in scale? We're probably uh, uh, too soon to tell. Uh, but like Vadim said, I don't think it's gonna disrupt uh, the market because the demand is just so great that it will be probably a growing phenomenon but not a uh, disrupting phenomenon. Yeah, to, to put it in context, um, recent numbers I've seen are looking at 14 million square feet uh, of uh, conversions that have uh, took place in the past few years. That is 0.1% uh, uh, out of the total 14 billion inventory out there. And um, it's not that it's not feasible, as, as Ohan and Vadim said, but I also agree, and I want to echo, it's there's a few reasons that it, it wouldn't be happening so fast. Um, one of them is that uh, those malls are usually multi-stories and they're not a good fit. Uh, the second one is the weight that they can carry doesn't really fit racking in those uh, warehouses. And in many cases, it could take years because there's a few operating shops like a Cinnabon and then you're waiting for that lease to expire. So we see the Amazons of the world taking over those, uh, where, those malls, I've just seen one in Cincinnati, uh, to use their uh, parking lots um, for, uh, to dispatch their vehicles. But we don't see that yet. I would think we would see more and more of that uh, on the big box side, which big boxes in structure are more like uh, for that use. So uh, next question from Alex. Uh, when conducting due diligence on your last mile infill centers, are you also examining roadway access, size of roads, quality of maintenance, ability to stage inbound trucks and onbound vans? Who wants to take a shot? So the answer is yes. We are looking on all of the above. Uh, essentially, we are looking, I would say, if I need to split those uh, on four main uh, criteria, if you will. The first one is demographic, and in within the demographic, we are looking on buying power, average age, a lot, a lot of other average salary, uh, all of those kind of stuff. On the demographic side, on the functionality, the, 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 the next one is functionality. On the functionality, we are looking on clear height, we are looking on track code depth, we are looking on thickness of, of the floor, and a lot of other things that makes the property more functional for the end user, or even for potential a future user uh, that probably will be within the e-commerce industry. So we might buy a property that is, is a yoga place, as I mentioned earlier, 
but in a five years from now, it could be a distribution facility, a last mile distribution facility for one of the e-commerce guys. Uh, and then we are looking on location versus pricing. Location, you know, as long as, as better the location, uh, higher the pricing. And then we are looking also on replacement cost uh, versus the, the, the actual acquisition price. And as more the location is infill, and as long as there is no available land closed by to uh, develop new properties that will be competing on the supply side, that makes the price to become higher. Uh, so obviously it's location versus price. And the last one is, I, I, I call it capital markets, and this is uh, the liquidity of the product upon disposition and the interest from the institutional folks to uh, acquire this kind of product and those kind of stuff. So this is my two cents about that. I would add uh, that uh, in terms of functionality, uh, in last mile, we do see a growing need to what we call FAR, flow area ratio. And that is a very big component when we underwrite a deal. So if there's a great warehouse, but it's not really uh, operational uh, for, for trucks or for vans, and it's more retailing use, then I think that's, um, that could be in many times a deal killer. Um, and that's something to, to, to put attention into. Uh, but many times we see those go with truck terminal that they compensate for the fact there's not enough uh, parking spaces. So that is definitely, uh, um, that, that covers uh, uh, Jeremy's question. So next question from Yossi. Uh, interested to hear from the group on who they think the next wave of tenants will be after the Amazon's big players to facilitate the last mile part of the chain. Well, I'll give it a go and open it. So I think Amazon are definitely the pacemaker, right? They've been taking a very big amount of the absorption that we've seen in 2020. And before that, they have doubled the amount of their last mile locations in 2020 from 160 last mile locations for Amazon to 320. And I think it was just October of uh, last year that they published they're going to be out with additional 1,000 locations in urban, suburban um, areas for last mile. So they're going to be a player, a big player for the next few years. However, we're seeing this, the second tier players, and you would say maybe first tier players, uh, at their heels. We're seeing, um, I just saw Walmart partnering with uh, Fabric to do more and more uh, last mile uh, micro-fulfillment centers. So we see that. We, we, I heard talks with Kroger, Kroger with uh, Okadu from, uh, uh, I think, from the UK to do more and more micro-fulfillment centers inside warehouses. Uh, we see Autostore really, uh, we heard Andrew uh, talking about Autostore tripling the amount of uh, RFPs that requests for proposals they have received. So there's a lot into that. The big players are really starting to get first. Uh, but there's also a need for the smaller players to find a way into the last mile if they want to stay in touch with their, with their users, with their consumers. And that's why companies like DaVinci, uh, Corey Akron, that joined us in the first panel, um, came to the world. Corey is basically a 3PL or a 4PL that gives the opportunity to those uh, uh, retailers that are smaller, but sometimes also major retailers, to reach that last uh, uh, mile to get their uh, consumer on time. So we're going to see more 3PLs. We're going to see more interesting models like Corey's going into the scene. Uh, but definitely Amazon, uh, Walmart, Kroger, uh, uh, one of those, uh, one of the firms that are leading that space 
but the others are going to come uh, right after them. Nike is another good example, going uh, onto their uh, uh, own supply chain after breaking up from the uh, Amazon uh, platform. So I guess we'll see the big ones first and then the, the others afterwards. Definitely, I think, uh, to your point, that the brands are the key. Um, who will be the next users? It's not only going to be 3PLs. It's going to be the brands that want to put their product, not just sell to Amazon or sell it to a Walmart or sell it to a different marketplace. They want to sell it direct to, cons- to consumers. If they will do it directly like Nike, uh, uh, then they'll need their own infrastructure. If they'll do it with a fabric or with a Da Vinci, uh, Da Vinci and fabric, will be uh, the growing party here. Uh, but overall, that's kind of a, the bigger shift that we're seeing. Brands wanting to sell direct to consumers, that increases uh, the amount of demand. That's the next uh, uh, kind of a step in line. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Okay, so another question from uh, Daniel. Uh, the Amazon effect has changed the e-commerce landscape vastly. COVID has pushed many to innovate, potentially spinning up the shift by many years. Is this the new normal or short-term boom? In other words, is the increase in e-commerce was just uh, related to COVID and is it uh, uh, doomed to go back to 2019 uh, levels? Uh, anyone for the first uh, shot? It's, you know, it's, it's a good question. We see tremendous growth in e-commerce. So the question is, will it stop or will it go to a plateau? Uh, probably uh, uh, sometime along the future, the answer is yes. You know, once you have any product that wants to be sold to a person will be there in, in, in less than a day, then the system is great. Uh, but when you look at kind of uh, growth markets like Dallas or Miami or Austin, uh, uh, those markets are growing, growing and growing. So the network within them will have to grow uh, together with the population. Uh, in other markets where they less grow, so you'll probably see a plateau earlier in the process. Are we there yet? I don't think, I don't think so. Uh, there's still a lot of catch up to do. Still the standout is, is outside of Amazon is more than two days. If you want to push it to the same day, there's many, many, many uh, more warehouses that needs to be deployed. Um, so, um, you know, the long answer is yes. Uh, when will it happen? I think it will take, it will take some time. To your point, Oad, I think that uh, COVID expedited the adoption of e-commerce, definitely, but it did not replace anything. This is a trend that was supposed to happen throughout the time. If not COVID, we're probably going to get there in five years from now, but we're still going to get there. And the, the, the best case study for that is, is to look at China. Uh, the penetration of e-commerce in China is double than the penetration of e-commerce in, in the U.S. So, so you can see that people are uh, buying through Internet and they are, I, I'm sure that at some, to, at some point they will go to the retail because once COVID is over, hopefully, uh, they will go to the retail experience. It's, not, it's, a, tre- it's a trend that is not going to disappear. People will still be using Internet to buy products. And I don't see us as a, as a people going back to some to, to the place that we were before COVID-19, that process. I'd add to that that as long as we see inventory levels higher than we saw uh, pre-pandemic, we're going to see more demand, uh, even for the same amount of e-commerce. And as we see more and more malls and shopping centers shutting down, we're going to see triple amount uh, of warehouses for that every space. Uh, uh, so for every square feet that doesn't serve anymore as a retail shopping center, 
uh, we're going to see three square feet of warehouse just because of the amount of assortment uh, uh, you would need. Uh, so I think that even if we wouldn't, wouldn't see the, uh, we saw at certain points, not 15% of e-commerce out of total region, but, but it reached 25. But I think the stabilized level of January, we're probably going to be about 21% long-term, what, what most, um, I, I guess, research companies uh, think. But again, 21% over 15, uh, that is also 40% increase in one year from 5% to 15 took us 10 years from 2010 to 2020. So jumping uh, 6% uh, in one year is really uh, pulling forward six years till today. And add to that the increased amount of inventory and the increased amount of assortment and the need for last mile because consumer expectations are different today. I think uh, we're not, it's not the end that we're going to hear about that. And if you just judge by the amount of innovation around uh, our supply chain and last mile, it is booming. We're just hearing from companies every other day uh, uh, something new, and the industry just has a lot more to, uh, uh, to go. So one question before the last one uh, for this. So a question from Frat. Uh, do you think Amazon is more likely to lease or purchase a last mile location? That's the question I think that every business owner asks himself during his tenure. Uh, should I spend the money uh, on, and, and doing 6% on the real estate? Or should I spend the money uh, to employ workers to uh, uh, get new machines uh, and to improve my processes and hopefully to do a 25% yield on my investment? Uh, so we find that uh, the growth companies are definitely choosing to lease the spaces because they have a better use for their capital. We see that at smaller cap companies as well. Some people, when we see change maybe, is where uh, people see very, very long term and they know that they're going to invest a lot of money in CapEx and trying to retrofit their building uh, to a certain extent. And then it might be a, a different equation and then they do maybe a different math. But overall, as a grand statement, uh, uh, we don't see a change in, in wanting to own the opposite. We see a change in, in wanting to lease for the growth of the companies. I guess the question is, what is the retailer's goal, right? If it's to expand to one-day delivery, uh, it's not a good use of their capital to own, unless it's a strategic asset like uh, on the airport or something like that, uh, that they want to make sure they're going to be holding for the next 30 years. But otherwise, uh, it has to serve the goal. Uh, and they don't know how those... Uh, uh, how the landscape is going to be, look like in 10 to 15 years. So uh, that wouldn't be a smart use of their uh, capital. So uh, guys, thank you for joining the panel. Thank you to our viewers that have been with us uh, for the past uh, two and a half uh, hours. We really hope to have the next session physically and not virtually once uh, COVID allows. And we're looking forward to any follow-up questions you might have uh, on LinkedIn, uh, via email, or in any other uh, channel.